If you take your Bibles now and open up to 2 Peter, chapter 2, I'm going to say a quick prayer. Anybody warm yet? I thought about wearing shorts today, but I don't want you guys staring at my knees, you know? <laughs> right? Up, up, you know? So I wore a t-shirt instead. Compromise. Really insecure. I threw some boots on, so you didn't think I'm a slacker. <laughs> Let me read to you, though. Our study and consideration has broken it up in a way that allows us to study it, what I believe is in a format. Peter says, we also have the prophetic word made more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a, I believe, a pause and a segue in Peter's thought. He's encouraging the body. Guys, we have the Word of God. It's so sure. He had just talked about an experience that he had had on the mountain of transfiguration where a miracle happened. It was so legit. He heard a voice. He saw Jesus transfigured. He saw Elijah and Moses. It was incredible. And he said, you know what's even more incredible than that? The Word of God. You know what's even more life-sustaining than that? The Word of God. You know what's even more impactful than that? The Word of God. You know what feeds me better throughout the rest of my journey? More than experiences and miracles and signs and wonders. And I believe in miracles, experiences, and signs and wonders. I believe in all that, but you know what's more sustaining? The Word of God. And this is important for you guys. I said this at the end of the services last week. It's important for you who are seeking after signs and wonders to make sure that you're feeding on God's Word even more. To make sure that you're about God's things in His Word every day the rest of your life. Because signs and wonders and miracles and experiences, they fade but the word of God endures. The challenge that I put out last week, last week was, don't you think people would believe if they saw more miracles? I mean, let's just ontologically, logically, kind of humanistically think, if there were more miracles, man, if I could just ba-bang and ba-bang and ba-bang and do miracles, wouldn't more people believe? You would think so, except the group of people who saw more miracles than any other group of people walking through the wilderness for 40 years Saw God provide water out of the rock and manna from the ground, quail from the air, deliverance from all types of enemies. They saw miracles and miracles and miracles. And yet when it came to walking into the promised land, they didn't go in because of unbelief. Just trip out. Because some of you right now are struggling and you're thinking to yourself, man, if God would just heal my kid, I would believe. If God would just save this person, I would then believe. If God would help me to get rid of this addiction in my life, then I would know that God is good. This is a theological quandary. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get a little personal here and hopefully not offend anybody in my family, but a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were on vacation in Mexico. And when we got there, my daughter, she got sick in her ear, and I appreciate you guys' prayers so much for my daughter. I mean, she's home watching online right now. I'm so proud of her undergoing the surgery for her ear at Dornbecker's this last week. We were up in Portland for two and a half days, and she's at home doing well. They went in and repaired a hole in her eardrum and uh, got some other stuff removed out of there, and she was uh, in anesthesia for uh, five or six hours. And so she's doing great. Thank you so much for praying for her. And people have been asking, did, did she get tubes? And like, when she had tubes years ago. She's always had kind of ear issues, and... When we went to Mexico, though, a couple weeks ago, her ear began to bleed on the airplane, and we got to Mexico, and she began to be sick, and she struggled with nausea for about three days, and she was praying. Little, 
little 10-year-old, 60-pound girl, praying, Jesus, heal me. And right about the third day, she started to get frustrated. And she asked my wife, and, and again, I apologize to my family if I'm getting too personal, but she asked my wife, she said, why isn't Jesus healing me? And you know what? I was so pleased at that verbal question, because you better be able to ask that question. Why didn't it go the way I wanted? Why didn't my, my marriage last? Why, did I, why didn't my job last? Why didn't, why didn't this plan, I had a plan, it, was, it wasn't even a bad plan, it was a good plan, and it didn't work out. Why? And we were able to hold her hand theologically and emotionally and say, you know what, Jesus is healing you. But he's not a genie in a bottle that does everything we want. And he has also additionally promised not just to be with us in our hard times and our disappointments, he's also promised that there would be hard times and there would be disappointments. God is not unjust when life doesn't go our way. He's not unjust when it's difficult. He is God and he is sovereign. And the way that we know that and stand on that truth is having our feet founded on this word, that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And you who are a little bit older than my 10-year-old daughter who's processing these deep theological truths, you who are here, not because life's easy, not because it's always fun, not because it hasn't cost you, but you're here because you know that Jesus is real. You know that Jesus saves. And even with tears in your eyes and memories in your mind, you can recall and say, defend the faith. God is good. This is important that as theologians, we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter's instructing us that we would be found in. I read to you three verses and I got distracted. Apparently, this isn't going to be the shortest sermon ever. <laughs> Last night, I went to bed about 10.30. I was like, okay, enough typing. And I had like eight pages of notes. My, my short sermon plan was way out the window. And I was like, I got to stop typing. Oh, this is gonna, this just not going to be good. I'm going to sweat in here and people are going to show up. Peter said in verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But. But there were also false prophets among the people. As there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. And they'll bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, and because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you, and with deceptive words, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah... One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment 
for the day of judgment. Stop right there. He keeps going. That wasn't a period in my Bible. That's one long sentence. As a matter of fact, Peter goes on in chapter 2 to continue to hammer the reality that there will be false teachers, false prophets, heresies, and leaders of cults who would seek to take people astray in the things of God, both in the past, in their present, and in the future, which is our day. Now, stop right there, eyes up here. Chapter 2 of Peter is the heart of Peter. Chapter 1 and chapter 3 on the bookends. And in chapter 1, Peter says, add to your faith, man. Feed yourself. Press in. Keep growing. And in chapter 2, he says, beware. Watch out. Fight back. And in chapter 3, he says, man, keep feeding yourself and look up. Your redemption draws nigh. He talks about Jesus coming back. But in the middle, he gets real Liam Neeson style on us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he gets real serious. Arnold Schwarzenegger style, I'll be back, you know, and he warns the sheep. And here's the point. Jesus had told Peter, Peter, I want you to do two things. Feed my sheep and tend my lambs. If you feed the sheep, that's what we're supposed to do. In chapter one, we see it's all about the word of God and the grace of God and the knowledge of God and keep growing in the things of God. And we see that in the last three verses I read to you. And Peter said, I'm going to feed the sheep. But in chapter two, this is very important, he warns the sheep. Because if you don't warn the sheep and you just feed the sheep, you're just feeding the sheep to fatten the sheep so the sheep would get slaughtered by false teachers and wolves. So instead he says, you guys got to be careful. And he goes into this great warning. As a matter of fact, I thought about teaching all of chapter two at once just because it's kind of repetitive and he just keeps talking about these bad guys and bad situations and bad scenarios. And it's not really fun as a teacher talking about bad stuff. And the Lord just kind of said, no, just go through it slowly. Go through it slowly because your church needs to not just be fed, but it too needs to be warned. It doesn't just need to be strengthened internally, but it also needs to be directed and corrected and edified. And so he gives us what I believe is this warning in chapter two, feeding us in chapter one, he says, press in. Chapter two, he says, watch out. In chapter three, he says, look up. And the reality is, is in this world, we do need to be warned, don't we? Not everyone's your friend. Not everything's true. You guys ever raised kids in this world? Man, you got to teach them this stuff. Like, not everyone's your friend. Not everyone's okay. Stranger danger. Not, not everything's going to work well, you know. And most of the time, behind the scenes at the house, it's veggie tails and Cheerios and bubbles and puppy dog tails. But occasionally, hey, sit down, kids. Some scary stuff out there. Is it not? And my kids are 10, and Nemo's about to be 12 at the end of the month in July, and Noah just turned 13. And I'm real honest with my kids. Maybe a little too honest at times, but it's because I know the dangers of this world, and you got to warn the people that you love most. Watch out. Fighting to defend the faith. And you know what? It's not a unique idea to, to just Peter. Anything that's true is going to need to be fought for. Okay? Anything that's true is going to need to be defended. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter, Peter wrote and he said, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. That word defense is where we get our word apologetics, which is a ministry field where men and women dissect the scriptures in order to defend the gospel, defend the word. People will say, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And we'd be able to have a defense for the hope that lies within us. Peter instructed us to do that before, to defend. We must be ready to defend the Bible and what it says and the church that we believe in. Here's three principles. If you're a note taker, write this down. If you stand for something, you're going to have to stand against other things. This is so unpopular. 
we live in an all-inclusive, everybody's right world. I mean, it is so popular to stand for everything. And if you say, what are you against? Like, I'm not against anything except you being against me. I mean, isn't the world we live in crazy? It just doesn't make any logical sense. If you're going to, principle number one, you're going to defend the faith. You're like Peter. If you're going to stand for something, you must stand against other things. And our culture doesn't like this. People are afraid to draw lines. Everything's inclusive. Your truth is just as true as my truth, even if they're in opposition to one another. And it's crazy. What we actually need is someone to turn on some carnival music and pop some popcorn because the whole world's just a carnival. Everyone's just making stuff up and your truth is contradictory to my truth and you can redefine that and you can deconstruct that and you can make that up. And you know what? It's okay. It's true. We're going to give you a little lane over here and a little protective circle. We're going to promote that. We're going to give you a whole month to celebrate that. And we're going to, all this is over here and you can do that. And it's like, whoa, none of this is popular. We're probably going to, I'm going to have some vacancy on my Facebook friends list. I had somebody send me a message. Maybe they're watching. Luke, accept my friend request. You know, I was like, just give me till this Sunday. I'll have room for you. It'll, <laughs> there'll be some vacancies. You know, it doesn't have to be, and you guys know me. I hope you know me. Maybe. I, I, I used to be real. I used to go bulldogging. I used to like fight people. Like, what do you believe? And I would, you know, just bulldog them into crying. And, and then I grew up a little bit. And so being for something necessitates that you're against other things. It's just the way it is. And I major on what I'm for. I don't major on what I'm against, okay? I may, I don't may, but I am not ashamed of what I'm against. I'm going to let that hang so he can fix it. Thank you. If you're for Jesus, okay, you're against the devil. It's okay. If you're for truth, you're against lies. It's Okay. If you're for heaven, you're, you're against hell. You don't like it. You don't like the idea of people going to hell. It's okay. And if you're against lies, you're, you're for the truth. And principle number one, if you stand for something, you're going to have to stand against other things. Just settle into it. Principle number two, if you have something valuable, you're going to have to defend it. Okay, this is why we have passcodes. This is why we have locks. This is why we have security cameras. This is why we have dogs that we love sleeping in the living room so they can bark at the first responder. Somebody comes in. If you have something valuable, you're going to have to defend it. Somebody is going to come and attack that which you have put value on. It's just the way of the world we live in. Now, again, we don't like this. Everyone wants to think everyone's happy and everyone's all-inclusive and everyone's my friend. It's like, well, do you lock your door at night? Heck, yeah, I do. Oh, cool. So you actually don't want anybody and everybody to just come right into your house. No, you want security. We all do. You have to defend that which you love. As a matter of fact, uh, Jude, Jesus' little brother, he writes an epistle. It's called Jude. <laughs> and we're going to read it in November through our 5x5 five five reading program. And it's one chapter. And I love Jude because he starts out his epistle. As a matter of fact, I got, I got the verse 3 written down. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, listen, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude intended to write about the common salvation we share, but he said, you know what? I'm actually going to exhort you guys to fight. And throughout the entire one chapter of Jude, it's a fighting chapter. Fight. There's going to be false teachers, heretics, 
deceivers, false prophets amongst you that are going to come and try and deceive you. This is how it's going to be. And this is Jude then and Peter then. These are guys, eyes on the ground, people there were right there. And they said, if you have something of value, you're going to have to fight for it and defend it. I would encourage you to read the book of Jude later today. Principle number three, before we move forward, is that there just can't be multiple truths. There just can't. It's, it's a modern myth that your, uh, your truth, I'm glad you're living your truth. You heard that before? This is the funniest thing I ever heard. No, it's your way, it's your path, but it's definitely not true. See, truth doesn't negotiate, you can't have multiple incongruent truths. The easiest principle for me in this is, is mathematics. You know, the mathematics don't, don't miscompute. Four plus four is always going to equal nine every time in 2021. You guys laugh because, no, everybody knows four plus four is eight. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't vary. It doesn't matter who you are, how you were raised. If you were dropped on your head as a kid, it doesn't matter. Four plus four always equals eight, no matter what you think. There can't be multiple truths. It's a modern myth. And if there is truth, then all else is lies, deceptions, and heresies. And the reality is, is that the Bible is truth. Jesus said, John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples. Whoa. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, they went on to reject him. They said, we're already free. We've never been in bondage to anybody. You know, and they weren't hearing it. And just like our culture doesn't hear this message either. They don't want to hear that there's absolute truth and only one truth. It's not a popular thing to say that coexist culture that we live in wants all things to be true except that there is truth. So the reality is if you want to lose friends and be unpopular and go against the world, man, just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. He said that you're not going to be liked in this world. So how important then is it that we know the truth? Verse 19 is where we began this morning, and I'm just going to say it. He says, we have the more prophetic word, made more sure which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Most of you know this, but I'm here to exhort you and encourage you. As the days get darker, this word will get brighter. Your objective is to know this word better, to grow in it daily, to not get clouded or tainted by the things of this world, this book will serve you as a light that shines in the dark. It's a light for the dark. It's a lamp for your path. It's food for your soul, medicine for your mind. It's strength for your spirit. It's comfort for your hurts, an anchor for your storms. And check this out. It's a love letter for your heart. Do you know all that about the Word of God? Sometimes, I don't know what you guys had for breakfast this morning. I had oatmeal. And I felt like I was deceived. It was one of those brown instant packages. And I, was make, I threw two bags in, man, you know, because I don't want to pass out while I'm up here. And I was mixing it up, and as I poured the hot water in, it started to smell like bananas. And I thought it was going to be that maple syrup kind, you know, cinnamon. And wasn't that great stuff? And it was, I was deceived. It was actually banana. But I ate it anyway because I'm not a baby. But my point is, my point is, I got a point. I, I, did, I ate it because I don't want to pass out. I've, I've almost passed out on stage before by, by skipping breakfast, and, and, and I ate it because it's the right thing to do. And throughout the rest of this summer, throughout the rest of your journey, sometimes you're not going to want to read the Scriptures, okay? Just, you're not going to want to. Your flesh is weak. 
I don't want to embarrass any one of my sons in the back there, but Noah, when he found out it was 80 verses this morning, said, what, 80 verses? I don't want to read 80 verses. I said, I know you don't because your flesh is weak. I get it. Read it. Eat, eat your oatmeal. <laughs> the word of God is food. Okay, oatmeal is sustaining. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's good. Sometimes when you're eating, you're eating your favorite meal you've ever had, steak and potatoes and then some apple pie, just some good stuff. I want to encourage you, listen, this book is a lamp, it's a light, it's medicine, it's direction, it's comfort, it's a love letter. If you decide to look at God's word that way, you will not neglect it. You can't neglect it because it's getting darker out. He goes on to give us a few rules, I believe, about biblical interpretation in the scriptures. Look in verse 20. He says, knowing this, that first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. He's kind of given us a warning, warming up to chapter 2, where he throws a bunch of false teachers under the bus. And he says, the scriptures are not privately interpreted or privately given. In other words, they're holistic. I like to call it the grand meta-narrative where Genesis all the way to Malachi, all the way to Matthew, all the way to Revelation is one big idea that congruently comes together. A lot of people take scriptures and isolate them and bring them off to the side and separate them out of what I call context. And if you take a text out of the context, it becomes not a text, but a con. And he's given us this warning. He says, guys... You need to be a person of the word. Because there's some people here who are thinking this through. I don't know, man. There's some weird scriptures out there, Luke. And I would say, yeah, there are. But when you read it in context and you know what's going on and you choose to not just get stumbled over a few different stories in the Old Testament or a few different scriptures that you don't know what's going on, and instead you read it in the context, you begin to understand, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Now that makes sense. I remember one time I was getting a, a sandwich at Big Town Hero in Ashland, and the guy working there knew I was a Christian. He said, you know, I don't even like God. I was like, well, why not? He said, because of Job. Man, that poor guy just got it, you know, he, got, he lost everything. It was not cool. And I was like, yeah, that was pretty tough. I said, well, what did you think of the last chapter? He said, well, I never got that far. <laughs> and I was like, well, then no wonder you're mad, you know? And you got to get to the end chapter where Job is restored and he's gifted and God's taken him through and God has proven his loyalty and his allegiance to himself. And the reality is you got to keep going. And so Peter here says, knowing this first, no prophecy of scripture is any private interpretation. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here's the reality is where did the scriptures then come from? If it's not one guy writing the scriptures, but it's holy men of God moved by the Holy Spirit. And let me just chase a quick rabbit and put this out there because somebody's going to argue with you. You decide to go to university or community college or go to some group. They're going to talk to you and say, you know why I don't believe in the Bible? Because man wrote it. You ever heard that before? And I like to ask people, is there anything you believe at all that wasn't written by a man? I mean, anything at all? The reality, let me say, I'll say it even more powerfully. Every single thing ever at all that you believe was written by a man or woman. There is not one thing that has not come into your mind, even if you're, you are that man or woman. So when people say, yeah, I can't believe this book. It was written by man. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Because it just doesn't work. Not, not the rest of your life. You believe everything. 
So, so, so let's just take that reality then. Did the scriptures come from man? The Bible says right here, yes. That God, what we call dual authorship, where God moved upon holy men to write the scriptures. And it was not the will of man, but it was the will of God. As a matter of fact, one of the ways I know that this book is from God and not man is because this book is not about man, but it's about God. And if man were to be making this up and writing this book, it wouldn't be about God. It would be about man, which is what every other religion is about, ultimately about my hedonism and my humanism and my harmony and my stuff and my sexuality and my identity and my feelings and my stuff. And yet when you read the scriptures, God's the hero and I'm the zero. (laughs) Have you read this book before? It doesn't make me a, a good guy. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come up short. It's not about you. It's about him. And when all of creation gathers around the end of times, it's going to be all about Jesus Christ, not me and you. Now, if man were in charge, they would be like, you know what? I'm going to get a little piece of that pie. And if you've ever studied other religions and other doctrines, all these other false teachers and false ways are anthropocentric or human-minded. And so when it says that Scripture is... Verse 21, all prophecy or for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just go ahead and remind you what I've decided to make as kind of my foundation. God said it. I believe it that you got to make a decision. And you've made that decision on other things. That person said it. I believe it. That settles it. Whoever that person is. Could be red, could be blue could be Dr. Fauci, could be whoever. Oh, I said it. I believe it. You know, that's what we do. You got to make a decision. Did God say it? Yeah. Do I believe it? Yep. That settles it. Do you still have questions? Yep. Both hands up. Lots of questions. That's okay. You can have questions. You should have questions. But when you settle it in your heart and mind that this is a book that God has given to us through what we call dual authorship, and let me just help a couple more people out there. And we've talked about this before, and uh, I intended to get way further than we're getting. I'm going to do my best. But I want you guys to really settle in. Because this is what Peter's saying. Guys, there will be false prophets among you. Not around you, among you, within churches. That will secretly or subtly come in and with destructive heresies seek to lead you astray. So you need to understand something about the Word of God. Did you know that the Word of God is actually 66 books in in one volume? 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. And did you know that the Bible is written by 44 different contributors or authors? And it was written over a 1,500-year period in length before the canonization, before the books were, were compiled and comprised, before the book of the Revelation, and the books were done being written. And in that 1,500-year period of 44 authors writing 66 books, it was written on three continents, Asia and Africa and Europe. Do you know it was written in three languages, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek? And did you know it was written in times of peace, times of war, times of plenty, times of famine? It was written by farmers and shepherds and fishermen and priests and kings and princes. It was contributed by men and by women people who were moved by God, people who didn't know one another. Moses never knew Elijah. Elijah never knew Matthew. Matthew never knew Malachi. 
John never knew Amos. Isaiah never knew Peter. And these men and these contributors who wrote this Bible, who in 1,500 years in three continents and three languages, put what God inspired in their hearts and what they experienced in the revelations, and they comprised it and compiled it all together. Let me just say something. Practically, you take all those ingredients and put them together, called Thomas Nelson Publishing, I've got this crazy book idea. 44 different authors, 1,500 years, three continents, three languages, all different time periods, and we're going to hope that somehow it kind of makes sense, and that nobody tells a contradicting story, and we're going to hope that one story complements and fulfills the other, and we're, man, I don't, I don't know if it's going to work. As a matter of fact, let's just use our minds. It would never work. Impossible, unless God were the author unless God had given to us his word, unless God had put it together. When you do just a little bit of study and understand, it just checks out. There's no way that this is a cunningly devised fable, as Peter said in verse 16. This isn't just made up. Guys, this, and you who, by the way, who've read the Bible, let's just, let's just go there for a second, and have had your lives changed. You ever read Reader's Digest before? Those great stories. They're cool, encouraging, silly, but they don't change your life. But when you open up to the scriptures, today's June 27th, which means that my family reads Psalm 27. And on the 27th, man, there has not been a time I have read Psalm 27, and it has not filled my sail with hope and with strength. and with it's a, The book is alive. No scriptures of private interpretation, but the prophecies that we have, man, they were given to us by God. God wrote the Bible through mankind about mankind's need for God. We need him, we need his word, his ways, and his wills. So then in chapter two, which will obviously take two weeks to get through. You guys are so fun. Verse one. But, I want to get through four verses. Let's do it. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. And because of whom? The way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will seek to exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And the first proof text that Peter gives that God watches and understands is the fact that he disciplined the very angels that tried to lead a rebellion and a deception in heaven. He kind of ends on a, what I believe, at least in today's sermon, a good note. He says, God knows. God's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of all the false teachers, all the heretics, all the false prophets, all the bad guys, all the deceivers, all the coveters. He's going to take care of all that. But that doesn't mean that it's not your or my job and or responsibility to defend the faith and to walk knowing that there is going to be a battle in these days. He said there's false teachers. This isn't new. Satan's been trying to deceive God's kids from the beginning. You can write down these three realities and kind of put them through your life. Whatever God says, Satan challenges you felt this in your life before? God told Adam and Eve, I got everything for you. It's all going to be great. First thing the devil said to Adam and Eve, he's like, are you sure God said that? And he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't thought that. Thought it. I never want. And she began to question what God 
says. So whatever God does, Satan challenges. Number two, whatever God does, Satan confuses. First, he started to question. And then he began to confuse. He says, no, no, you're not going to die. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be totally different than that. She began to then get off her rocker in the way that God had instructed her. Clearly, second thought in this battle, spiritual warfare, whatever God does, Satan confuses. He said, you're not going to die. And the third thing that the devil does is that he counterfeits. Whatever God does, Satan counterfeits. Remember what the devil told her? Are you sure God said that? No, that's not what he said. Then he went on to say, actually, if you do it my way, it's going to be better than you ever imagined. You guys ever fallen for that trap before? I know God said not to do this, but I'm just going to try it this one time. I heard it's really good. And you fall into that lie. And it's not good. It brings upon you death. And this isn't a, a casual warning. And, this is, and then maybe this, I, as I put this together, I, I thought, who's, who's this message for? I really believe this is for kind of the middle of the, the book. It's for the leaders. It's for the, the people, the shepherds. It's for the men and the women, the moms and the dads and the people who care, who are watching the signs and the seasons and the times and saying, all right, all right, all right. When Peter says there were false prophets then and there will be false teachers amongst you, it's not a casual assessment, okay? It's a strong warning. And this is actually like, I love church, I love being here, but we have security cameras here. I don't know if you know that. Like, it's church, it's a very you know, fun environment. We have a security team. We have people watching. I remember one time, maybe I shouldn't share this story, but I'm going to. <laughs> one time, this couple came up to me years and years ago, and they said, Luke, just so you know, when you pray for people to get saved, altar call, when you do that, we pray with you. We pray that God would open up eyes and deliver souls and save spirits, and we're with you, just so you know. I said, like, oh, that's so cool. And they said, additionally, we're also concealed weapons permit carriers. So if we need to take anybody out, we will. <laughs> and I said, awesome, you know? So you got my back either way, and we're going to protect. Okay. And, and, and Peter says, hey, it's not all, it's not all safe. And I like it to be safe. Don't you like it to be safe? And you tell your kids, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. Oh, hey, but be real careful. Stranger danger. There's bad guys out there. There's bad things out there. Not a casual warning. It's an exhortation and a serious command. Look at what it says in, in verse 1. There were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord. This idea of secretly bringing in makes sense. Most False teachers and heretics don't come to you and say, hello, I'm a false teacher, and I'm going to lead you astray and destroy your life. Would you like to follow me? <laughs> they're secret, and it's subtle, and you don't know they're leading you astray. As a matter of fact, they deceive their words, and they cover their doctrines in ways that would lead you astray and would be deceptive. Mormons do this when they tell you that they believe and worship Jesus Christ. You ever heard this before? They say, we believe in Jesus, the same Jesus as you. We, we have a testimony, Latter-day Saints, of the same Jesus. It's a new gospel of the same Jesus. But they don't tell you is that they actually believe that Jesus Christ and Satan himself are brothers, that they're both spirit babies from the same spiritual father, and there's a whole cosmic battle going on, all kinds of other weird stuff. And so they'll give you a little bit of truth, but also hide a lot of lies. 
Jehovah's Witness will do this. They'll knock on your door and they'll have a Bible. It's the New World Translation, which is the translation they came up with. They took 16 verses out of the New Testament, out of the New Testament, and also replaced them with other verses in order to have their gospel minimize the deity of Jesus Christ. And they'll tell you, yeah, we believe in the same Jesus as you. It's just different. And they'll deceive you secretly and subtly. And not just Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, but all kinds of different ways of this world. As a matter of fact, any other religion in this world whether it be Middle East or Far East or Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam, secularism, hedonism, humanism, all of them are deceptive. And here's the problem. They all have partial truth. If you ever study the teachings of Buddha or Confucius, there are pieces of truth and wisdom within their teachings. There are teachings within the practice and religion of Islam that are good and are peaceful. There are portions, partial truths, we'll call them. But unless it is all truth and is only a partial truth, in my book, it's actually an untruth. Let me say it differently. If it's not all true, then it's not true at all. Again, this is crazy talk, right? Look, you trying to tell me that that book you got there is all true? Yep. Yep. It's a, how, how could that be? <laughs> He's going to tell us, he's like, do you not understand that when God created the heavens and the earth, he did so by his, starts with W, rhymes with word, word. The logic's pretty funny. Peter's like, hey, when God created everything, pretty big deal, he spoke. And so for you who are super smart, educated, well, there's no way this word can be perfect. It's too powerful. It's just, how could it's a miracle? Or you could say, he said it, I believe it, and that settles it. God's word is true, and it's enough, and it's powerful. Guys, it says here that they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. I just need to, heresy, false teaching, false prophets is destructive. It'll destroy. It'll lead you off your path. It will lead others to hell. It's just a little bit of untruth. It's just a, a little bit. I, I met a person this week at a store. I'll just leave it at that. And as I was talking to this person, they, they found out who I was and what I did. And, and they began to tell me about their history. And Oh, yeah, I used to go to church. I don't do that anymore. Kind of just, you know, broadened my horizons. Opened up my, just learning. Very positive, very happy. But I was also very concerned. Because if you don't stay on the path of the truth of God's word, and you begin to include other things, Peter says it is destructive. They say that it even denies the Lord who bought them. Most cults, most false teachers will give Jesus some credence, some elevation, some respect, some honor. Islam does this, calls Jesus Christ one of the prophets. They put him in the book. He's there. Jesus asked his boys, who do you guys say I am? And they said, well, you're respected. You're one of the guys. And he said, what do you think? And they said, we think you're God. He said, bingo. Jesus wasn't impressed with all these other opinions. People want to deny the Lord. 
Verse 2 says, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Did you know that people who are successful and have a big crowd and a big following, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're on the Lord's team? This is kind of confusing, isn't it? See some big ministries, big names, big authors, big mega churches. You you know, people. Just because many people follow doesn't mean that they're leading people in the right direction. And as these ministries find themselves going down the wrong path, Peter says, because of them, many people will blaspheme. Have you seen this before? Some ministry gets out of line, somebody does something silly, and all of a sudden, the rest of the watching world, even Christians, just shake their head and say, I can't believe this guy. I can't believe that guy. I can't believe this church did that. I can't believe this false teacher. And Peter's warning us, saying, guys, stay in the book. Stay grounded. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself walking down a destructive path, leading other people to having challenging ways in their faith. It's not good. He goes on in verse 3 to say, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words, and for a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction has not slumber. Stop right here. Final thoughts. Interesting. And I'm just trying to figure out what Peter's saying here, but here's what I see him saying. He says, you know what they're going to do? You know their bait? Covetousness. They're going to lead you, false teachers, these hedonists, these humanists, these secularists, these false Christians, they're going to lead you to follow them by ways of feeding to and catering to your flesh rather than your spirit. Easy believism. Name it and claim it. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Have it all now. Have it your way. Your best life now. Right here. Right now. Right here. Kingdom now theology. All this stuff right here. I was thinking about covetousness last night. Isn't it interesting that there are 10 commandments and the 10th one is thou shalt not covet? I mean, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. And then finally, the capstone number 10 is like, don't want what you don't need. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't covet your... Go in there, Exodus chapter 20. Don't covet. And these guys are coming at you and say, you know what you need? More. You need more of this and more of that. And if you give this, God will give you that. And ooh, I kind of like that. That's a good idea right there. And Jesus said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. You focus on the things of eternity. Peter could have changed his tune, changed his message, and lived his best life now. He could have lived a lot longer if he would have just shifted his ideology. And instead, he said, no, no, I'm living for the things of God, the things of eternity. This is an important message, especially in our day of affluence, our day of freedom, our day of power, our day of all kinds of stuff. And I'm just so glad for the rest of the, chap- the, rest of the chapter, Peter's going to just kind of go on this kind of history lesson of the scriptures. And I didn't want to gloss over it because there's an assumption that Peter's audience, when they read his epistle, they knew the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They knew the story of Noah. They knew the story of Lot. They knew the story of Abraham. They knew these stories. And I want you guys to understand also with me, God knows how to deal with this, which is really good news for me. I, I don't have to deal with it. All I have to do is feed the sheep and tend the flock, warn the sheep. In closing, let me just put this thought out there. If they hated Jesus first, they're going to hate you. Don't seek so hard to be popular, to be liked, to be loved. Don't seek so hard to have comfort, value, and significance here unless you're taking that comfort, value, and significance here and leveraging it for the glory of God and the good of others. Living for this life here is a deceptive folly and one we are all prone to go after. Every single one of us are just sheep 
having gone astray. Praise God that we have a shepherd who loves us and who will come in with his rod and his staff, beat away the wolves, and occasionally take that same rod and staff and knock you on the head. You ever been knocked on the head by the shepherd? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, Lord, honor us and guide us and guard us and protect us. Thank you so much for life, for life now and for life everlasting. Lord, Proverbs chapter 23 says, do not be zealous or jealous over the wicked, but instead for the fear of the Lord, for surely there is a hereafter. And I pray in Jesus' name you'd make this congregation, my friends and my family, those, Lord, who know you and know you well, who know the deceptiveness, Lord, of false teachers and false prophets and fake theology and weirdness, and we would be those who, Lord, know the word. Make us actually not as concerned about the fallacies and the weirdnesses as we are concerned about, Lord, feeding on your faithfulness. We thank you so much for all you've done, all you're doing. Lord, bless us the rest of the day. Bless the 11 a.m., Lord, as they get the shortest sermon of the summer. And uh, we just thank you for all you've done. Bless Pastor Rory as he's also preaching in Albany right now. Lord, just anoint him. Lead us and guide us. Bless the youth camp this week in Jesus' name. Pastor Rory and the team, let it be amazing and awesome. We love you, Jesus. We repent of our sins. We receive you again as our Lord and Savior. Lead us, we ask, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you.